Uh, praise the Lord again, as uh, as my brother already mentioned earlier. Our condolences and uh, and comfort to the families. Um, man, all three of those uh, saints who have gone to be with the Lord have been instrumental, even in my life personally. Uh, I could think of all three of the uh, all three of them uh, uh, when I come down from leading worship or preaching a sermon and getting a hug and a word of encouragement um, and a blessing. And it's wonderful to know that we continue the tremendous legacy of faith that's been given to us. Amen. And we don't take that lightly. And we recognize that anything that good that God is doing or has been able to do uh, with humility, we give God praise and thanks for our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents, uh, aunts and uncles, um, particularly who have, um, who have been an encouragement to us along the way. Amen? Um, so today I want to talk about setbacks. Has anybody ever had a setback before? A setback. Some of you are like, man, Pastor Koba, I'm kind of in the middle of a setback right now. It's a miracle I made it here this morning. You don't have to put yourself out there just yet because all the rest of us can relate because we've had setbacks before. Um, last night, uh, one of the families of the church graciously uh, blessed my wife and I with tickets to the Dodger game, and we had a chance to go and enjoy uh, a game in Dodger Stadium, beautiful stadium, the greatest stadium in the world, in my opinion, all right? People say, man, if you go there, you're going to get in a fight or somebody's going to pour beer on you. I'm like, well, just keep your mouth shut then, and don't wear a Yankees jersey or a Marlins jersey. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Don't wear a Giants. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Let me get off. You got too excited about that one, church. We're not even in the word yet, and you're saying hallelujah. We're just talking about the Dodgers. So um, Dustin May, uh, Code Red, the redhead pitcher, after a longer than a year of uh, recovering from a significant injury, elbow injury, Tommy John surgery, made his debut last night, um, pitched five great one-hit innings, Nine strikeouts, look good as ever, touching 98 miles per hour. I cannot believe that after a year of going through what he went through, rehab, et cetera, he comes back throwing 98 miles per hour. Um, Dustin May experienced a setback. I can't imagine what it was like for him in Milwaukee over a year ago when all of a sudden he realized something happened to his arm that was his moneymaker. That his career depends on the health of his arm, and all of a sudden his arm went out. I can't imagine the thoughts going through his head. Um, and, uh, and yet, yesterday was an example of someone overcoming a setback. Um, and I'm not just calling him out because he's a Dodger. But we've all experienced setbacks. Um, I remember an early setback for me as we're in August, and preseason football games are starting to come back on, and uh, many of us are football fans. I remember my first practice playing tackle football. When I was about 11 years old, I was out at Harbor College on the soccer fields. And, um, you know, I had played flag football, and I was the man. Let's just be honest, all right? <laughs> Carson Park, the, the uh, 1A, 2A, Arnold over there, you know, playing for the Eagles and the Saints and the Cowboys, and you put the ball in my hand, and it was over, man. It was like, it was over at Carson Park. And then things got a little different when the practices moved over to Harbor College. It wasn't Carson Park anymore. 
The, the other team wasn't just trying to pull a flag hanging from my hip anymore. And so first practice, I show up, and, and the coach says, hey, you're pretty fast, right? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right, here, grab the football. And you see that cone right there? I want you to run as fast as you can to that cone. So I'm like, all right, I could do that. You know, so I get the ball, and they blow the whistle, and I run as fast as I could to the cone. And then all of a sudden, from my left, unbeknownst to me, was a young man who was much stronger than I was named Gabriel Salcedo, who later on became a friend of mine, but in that moment was not, <laughs> put the face mask on his helmet into my rib cage, unlodged the ball from my arm and the wind from my body, and I was laying down on the grass looking up, contemplating life, <laughs> and, 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 and reminding myself how much uh, I really enjoyed soccer over the, the game of tackle football. Had a conversation with my dad on the way home, right, with tears in my eyes, with this brand new equipment that I didn't really know how to put on just yet. And I said, Dad, I don't think I'm a football guy. I like baseball. I like all these other sports. But this football stuff, I, don't, I just don't think it's for me. And I, I wonder how many people have a story that starts like that, and oftentimes it ends like that. But I'm grateful that there was somebody in the driver's seat of the car that I was in that said, you ain't quitting. It might have hurt. It might be a setback, right? You had your plans, you had your thoughts and all that, and all the plans and thoughts went out the window the moment I, the, the, the wind got knocked out of me and I had a bit of a setback, but I'm grateful that I was surrounded by my dad and my brothers who said, all right, let's get you going. And Dave, you know, Seahawks quarterback coach at the time was always my older coach, my older brother coach and, and Josh as well, my older brother coach. They took me out into the, into the front yard that night and said, all right, we're going to get you right so that by the time you return to those guys out there, you're going to be light years ahead of them and so I got beat up in the front yard again <laughs> right only to return the next couple days in practice and after two days of practice they changed my position they said we had you at wide receiver now you're going to be our fullback because nobody could hit like you they said you, you were a cornerback but now you're going to be our middle linebacker because you're the meanest dude out here and yet two days before, I was getting ready to quit. All that to say, we, sometimes we have a setback in life. Uh, one that's not too, uh, too long ago that I experienced, I was, uh, you know, praying about education. And, and I, had, I had always desired to continue in my education. I, I wanted to pursue a doctoral degree, uh, but I wasn't sure when, where, why, what, etc. until finally I felt like the Lord had given me clarity. You're going to go to USC. You're going to have a doctorate of education from University of Southern California. So I applied, and I was waiting, looking at my email, refreshing it every day, every hour, trying to see when I was going to get that uh, letter that either said, you're in or you're out. Finally, I got the letter, and the letter said, you're in. And I was excited, right? So excited, I went to the campus. I bought all my books, got a brand-new backpack, right? said USC on it. I was really proud. Um, had to, you know, make sure I got all the, the Trojan gear I can, given that my brother and Boomi are Bruins. 
And I was so excited. So I'm getting ready. I had to go to work. And then right after work, I was going to my first class. And, uh, and I went to, I was at my dad's house. And I, I went to, uh, to go outside to change the cars. Because you know how in the driveway sometimes you got your car is in front of the other one. And you got to rotate the cars. So I put my backpack right outside. I rotated the cars, right? I went in, dropped the keys, got my keys, got back in my car. And my backpack with my computer and all my brand new books was gone. Man, somebody, somebody in the neighborhood was educated after that. <laughs> they had all the student development books that they could imagine, brand new Mac computer, a nice brand new backpack, and I was a little bit defeated at that moment. Doesn't that feel kind of bad when something gets taken? And I was just feeling, man, I'm, I'm being attacked right now because God had opened up a tremendous door and I was excited to step into this new chapter and on my first day I got to show up to class and say, I ain't got no computer, I ain't got no books. I don't know what I was supposed to bring today and I don't know what I'm about to write it on. But here I am with a piece of paper and a pen on my first day of class in the 21st century at the University of Southern California in a doctoral program. And I showed up like, man, I look like a loser right now. Everybody else had like 15 iPads and a computer and their smartphone taking notes and looking at the syllabus and asking detailed questions. And I'm like, man, you're going to have to give me some time. <laughs> I had a little bit of a setback. Let me, let me praise my wife really quick on that story because uh, while I was, uh, the next day while I was at work, all of a sudden she, she does her own research. I don't know how. She figures these things out. She figured out what books I had already bought and which ones were taken. She went and got me a brand new set of books and a brand new backpack. She was like, the only thing I can't help you with is your computer. You're going to have to figure that one out. <laughs> but in the middle of a setback, how many know it's important to have people around you in your corner that are going to be there for you and walk you through those moments when your mind starts to go through all these different scenarios about what, you, what, what you're going through, what you're facing, how challenging it is, how hard it's going to be to bounce back, how much energy it's going to take, whether or not you have what it takes. It, it, it's so difficult to be in that moment where you are experiencing self-doubt, you're experiencing uh, 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 identity crisis, and in that moment, it's so significant to know that there are people who could see you in that moment and remind you who you are and where you're going. Today, the, the passage of scripture that we're looking at that is in many ways addressing a setback is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to look at a, a letter, a personal letter, a personal word of encouragement from somebody named Paul to another person named Timothy. We're going to unpack this letter because Paul is addressing Timothy during a season of setback for Timothy. Um, and the reason why I know he was going through a setback is because of what Paul begins speaking to him about in this second letter to his young mentee, Timothy. Uh, Paul was present. He was close enough to be aware of the challenges that Timothy was going through. Paul was uh, uh, in such a way to where he wasn't so 
immersed in his ministry and work and future because Paul was doing some amazing things for God at this time. He had plenty of things to be focused on. He had cities that he was traveling to and different countries he was going to, and he had a big job to evangelize the Gentile world, and and God was using Paul to do amazing things, and yet we find in passages like this that Paul still made time to be concerned about his young son in Christ, Timothy. So it's a good word to us who are mentors in the lives of others, whether it be our children or, or whether we're in leadership positions, to recognize never be too busy to be concerned and care about those that God has entrusted to you. Nothing is so important that should distract us from being able to be in the corner of those that God has called us to build up and edify, right? So Paul takes time, and he writes this letter, and we're going to look at that letter And it begins in verse 1 of chapter 1, and we should have it on the screens as well for those who'd like to follow along that way. Paul, it says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say apostle. By the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul begins here, verse 1, and he's saying, I am an apostle. What does an apostle mean? An apostle, uh, interestingly, uh, if you were to look at this passage, the, the A in apostle is not capitalized. What that means is an apostle simply means someone who is sent, meaning somebody has sent you. In other words, Paul is a messenger for Jesus Christ, a representative of Jesus Christ, someone who was sent, right? Uh, the reason why that's so significant is because he is identifying, even at the beginning of this letter, I didn't send myself. I'm not here on my own accord. Right, uh, he, He's recognizing here from the get-go that he is sent by, through and by the authority of Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. What does that mean? By the will of God simply means, again, I am not here uh, because of my own plans, but I am here and I am an apostle only because of God's will for my life. Right. So there's humility that comes with both of those uh, statements, being an apostle and being sent by the will of God. According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Um, so I want us to take a look at verse 2. He says, to Timothy, a beloved son. To Timothy, a beloved son. The word Timothy or the name Timothy is a Greek word. Uh, actually, a couple of Greek words put together. Timo, Theo, which simply means uh, one who honors God. Uh, We don't always spend time to break down every meaning of every name in the Bible, but in this particular case, I think it's important to recognize his name because a name, a first name, is connected to a lineage, right? None of us had the opportunity to name ourselves when we were born in the hospital, right? Some of us didn't like that name, and so you've gone to the court later on, and you said, I don't like to be called that. Call me this instead. And if you've done that, great, more power to you. But Timothy received his name from his parents, which simply means, similar to what we did this morning, when he was a baby, there was somebody who said, this boy is going to honor God with his life. Timotheo. This boy is going to honor God with his life. So he was born into a family that was already, by virtue of his name, helping to give him a direction as to how he's going to live. That's essentially what we do through dedication, like what we did this morning. What we're saying is we are going to do everything within our power to make sure that they are introduced to Jesus. 
that they are able to grow up in the ways of God that they are going to develop uh, uh, practices and habits and patterns and abilities so that when time gets, uh, times get tough in their life, they've already experienced what it's like to fall on their knees and cry out to the Lord. So when we dedicate our children, it's not saying we are, we are uh, 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 assuring their salvation forever and ever. No, what it's saying is we intend as their tribe to come behind them and support them so that they have all the tools necessary to be able to live a life for Jesus. So, so we find here just in this simple naming of, uh, of, of, of Timothy that there was already some intention going on in the background even before he started to walk. He was given a name like one who honors God. And then Paul says beyond that to Timothy, he says, beloved son. Isn't that special? Right? Um, Timothy is not Paul's biological son. But when you're reading a letter and all of a sudden you see somebody who you look up to and you respect, it's a text message, it's a phone call, it's a letter, it's an email, it's a verbal conversation, whatever it may be, you, you hear from somebody and they say, mijo, right, or mija, or they say, son, right, um, or in the case of my football coach growing up, boy, <laughs> when he called you boy, you know he was talking as a father, that's how he learned in Hawaii, right, and so so when I see Paul reaching out and he's talking to Tim and he, Timothy and he says, beloved son, he's already beginning this letter from a place of affection and compassion. From a place of loving encouragement as a father. It's beautiful. He could have said, to Timothy, uh, my mentee in Christ. He could have said, to Timothy, a future pastor. He could have said, to Timothy, uh, a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. But instead he says, to Timothy, beloved son. So this, this whole letter is referencing a very uh, uh, intimate, compassionate, affectionate exchange between one father figure to a son. Right? I had an experience like this when I was in college. I, I uh, playing football at Azusa Pacific University uh, one of my coaches, who later on became the head coach of APU, uh, Coach Victor Santa Cruz, um, he was a tough coach. Um, he was the kind of coach that uh, was really good at pointing out the areas that you need to work on, right? Um, and for some players, he was good at pointing out what they had done well. Um, I wasn't one of those players. Um, in fact, uh, maybe he gave compliments, but something was in my ears to not hear them. And for the course of about three years, I thought I was on his bad side. Because I was always, man, you could have done this. Why'd you do that? Why'd you give a, why, you know, this. And I, I received that kind of attention from him, you know. Um, and, and I kind of internalized that uh, to, to think that he had something against me. Like I played every game, so obviously he wanted me to be in there. But when it came to the way that we interacted with each other, there was a, there was a to, to me, it seemed like there was just some distance there. Um, and I couldn't quite figure it out. Um, until at the end of our season, they, they brought us together and they, they gave us a banquet and they started to call different players up to give awards and different things. And, and when, when Coach Santa Cruz got up there, and he began calling some of the seniors to come up and give an award. And then 
he got to the point where he was getting ready to call me up and it took him about two minutes just to say my name because he started crying and it, I started crying because in that moment I recognized the reason why coach has been so hard on me for three years is because he sees me like a son the reason why I hadn't heard all the the the, the admiration and affirmation and recognition that some of my other teammates had heard is because maybe he thought this guy needs something different and uh, and I walked away from that moment and a lot of things made sense after three years but it just reminds me as we look at this passage that Paul is talking to Timothy and he says you're my beloved son and so we can expect now the remainder of what he's getting ready to say is going to come from the place of a father what does a good father do? A father knows when and how to encourage their kids. Amen? And a father knows when and how to discipline their kids. In fact, you can't show true love without discipline. The Bible says that. If you really love someone, you don't let them do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, whyever they want, wherever they want. Right? Showing True love and compassion also means being able to hold one accountable. Because someone who's not held accountable is not someone who is loved. Because if we really love those who God has called us to love, then we are going to love them not just in terms of how they feel right now, but who they're becoming for the future. If we tiptoe around feelings right now, then we're going to set some folks up for failure 20 years down the road. If we don't have the ability to say, you know what, we got to address this thing and figure this out right now so that if you could learn this lesson right now, by the time you get to high school, you're going to thank me later. Right? By the time you get to college, by the time you graduate and you're on your own and you're married, you're going to look back and say, I didn't understand it 10 years ago, but now I understand why it is that you did that the, the way that you did it. So, so, so Paul turns toward Timothy, and he, he greets him, and he calls him a beloved son, and, and, and he, he, he says in verse 2, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our, our Lord. And so verse 3 continues this letter as Paul is uh, um, encouraging, exhorting his son in Christ. Paul says to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So here we see uh, now moving into this next section of chapter 1 of uh, 2 Timothy. Paul begins to call out a few things. First of all, he says, I, I've seen something in you, Timothy, ever since you were little. You've had genuine faith. Right? He, he begins to identify that and point that out. I, I, I want to point out how significant it is. Whenever God is calling us into a place, and I want you to also, it's the, I want us to practice this as we read the word of God. Recognize that sometimes we are in the role of Paul, 
And sometimes we are in the role of Timothy. So maybe today this word from 2 Timothy is to you as a young person in faith. Whether you be young in age or older in age, but if you are younger in faith, maybe this is a word to you as if you are Timothy. And maybe this might be a word to you if you're Paul. And God is using you to encourage and teach and lead, and you're in those positions. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I guarantee that this is a word for us really reflecting on both ends of the spectrum. Because at every point we're learning, and at every point we're teaching. So Paul first and foremost points out that he has seen from a very young age that Timothy has carried a genuine faith. Now I don't know about you, but nothing is better for the soul uh, when you're developing and figuring out your identity, then somebody who's got more experience, who's more seasoned, and somebody who you can trust comes to you and says something that you do that you're really good at. Doesn't that feel good? Right? When, you, when somebody comes and says, you know what? You're like, you are one of the most creative young people that I've seen in a long time. The way that you did that, that's a really rare set of gifts that you have. And you can take that to heart, right? Or, man, you have a gift of leadership. The way that you step into a room, you're able to see certain things, and you're able to help rally people together and point folks in a particular direction and do that well. God has given you a gift, and you walk away from that saying, man, praise God. Or you got the gift of communication. You have a gift of organization and administration or whatever the gift may be. It's a blessing when somebody comes and looks at you and gives you a word of encouragement, pointing out something that God has unique uniquely gifted you with right it's important remember how that felt when somebody gave you that word can everybody kind of remember that feeling right now when a boss or a coach or a teacher or somebody or a parent or somebody in your life spoke into your life and said I see this in you right I see this remember remember that feeling and then I want you to bottle that up and ask yourself today, in what ways can I be aware in my life of opportunities to do that for somebody else? How can I be prepared this week to go into this week looking for an opportunity to speak into the life of somebody else by calling out a gift that God has given them? Amen? I want to encourage you to do that. Why? Because it felt so good when God used somebody else to do that for us. Because you never know what people are going through. You never know what doubts they're carrying. You never know if they woke up that morning saying, second guessing, oh, I don't know if I made the right decision to be here or to do this or to commit to that. And then all of a sudden, in just the right time, God might use you to step in and say, you know what? I don't know if you've thought about this recently, but when I saw you do that one thing, that was an anointing that God has given you. And all of a sudden, they were getting ready to quit. And they're reminded that they shouldn't quit because somebody saw the gift that they thought they had, and now all of a sudden, they know they have. So Paul says, I've seen something special in you, Timothy, for a long time. And if I'm Timothy, I'm thinking, wow, okay, so this is important because he's not just calling me out because he knows my mom and my grandma. Okay, because if you read that, that part right there that we just looked at in verse 5, right, we see that, that Paul says, I remember that you've had genuine faith, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. So Paul knew Timothy's family probably before Timothy was born. And so, uh, so it, it, it's a great opportunity and experience for Timothy to hear 
Paul doesn't just see something in you because of who you're related to, but God has uniquely given you a gift. And secondly, it's a blessing that it comes in a lineage of faith in his family. And Paul points out. Let me also point out the fact that as we look at this letter that Paul writes to Timothy, rarely do we see consecutively the mention of, uh, of, of faith lineage that takes place through women. Oftentimes in the Bible we hear about all kinds of stories of men and, and a few stories of women. But I want to identify and point out how significant it is that God has equipped, empowered, enabled, and anointed all of his people, his sons and his daughters. And at Mission Ebenezer, this is a church that reflects that, that we have uh, uh, women who are gifted in so many different ways to serve the Lord. We have men who are gifted in so many different ways to serve the Lord. In a patriarchal society, you would have anticipated that uh, Paul would have referenced Timothy's father and grandfather, but instead he references his mother and his grandmother and says it's because of their faith that something in them has caught on within you. So moms, keep up the good work. Grandmas, keep up the good work. Aunties, keep up the good work. Sisters, cousins, keep up the good work. The Lord is working in you and through you to be a blessing. Uh, we wouldn't have First and Second Timothy uh, and the wonderful passages that come from this text if there wasn't a Lois and a Eunice. If there wasn't a mom and a grandma who taught Timothy how to pray. If there wasn't a mom and a grandma who taught Timothy how to study the word of God. If there wasn't a mom and a grandma who said, hey, Timothy, get your butt out of bed. We're going to church. I don't feel like going to church. I don't care what you feel like doing. We're going to church. So either get in the car or get carried into the car. Timothy. If, if there wasn't a Lois and a Eunice, we wouldn't have a Timothy. So moms, don't give up. Stay persistent. Dads, I'm coming for you next. Don't think you're off the hook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all the dads are like, see, man, I don't, I don't have to do that much. Pastor Cobra's saying it's all about the women. No, 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 no. It's on both of us. In, in matter of fact, it's on all of us. Because sometimes it ain't even both, right? Like it, it takes a lot to raise these kids these days, right? I'm grateful for my brother, right, uncle, and I'm grateful for my, my sister-in-laws, Right, and my, my parents and so many others who, who participate in, and we all take part in this, in this awesome uh, responsibility. So Paul says, there's something special in you, Timothy, and it's connected to this lineage that you've been given by some amazing women in your family. Right, And now, all of a sudden, Timothy's right there. And what I love about it is he begins this section of, of Scripture as he's writing this letter to Timothy by saying... Um, and the reason why I'm doing what I do and the reason why I thank God is because I am glorifying God the same way that my forefathers did. Paul references his lineage. So Paul says, I've, I've received a lineage, you've received a lineage, and now we get to look forward. This is like five or six at least generations of people of faith listed right here in these few, uh, few verses. In other words, God wants to establish a generational promise within your families that begins right now. 
It's not just about what happened yesterday, and it's not just about what's going on right now, but it's about looking at it to say, Lord, how is it that I could glean from those who've given me this heritage, and how is it that I could set up the next generation so that they can successfully honor you and serve you with their life? So Paul says, just as my forefathers did and just as your mom and grandma did, and, and, and then from there, he is tapping into this rich heritage, this rich lineage and tradition and legacy that they both carry. So then it, it takes him all the way to verse 6, where Paul says, therefore, somebody say, therefore. therefore. So we, we all know that when we look at the word therefore, uh, what is the function of the word therefore whenever you're reading anything? Therefore connects two ideas, doesn't it? It's essentially saying because of what we just talked about, we're getting ready to make some conclusions based on those truths, right? Based on what we just established. So what did we just establish? There's been a legacy of faith that God's already been doing something in Timothy's life, um, that they have both been called, right? That they, have, they both have a, a role as those who are being sent of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul has established all these things. Then he gets to this, therefore, and now we're getting ready to jump into a new direction that's leaning on the foundation of what we've already established. So he says, therefore, somebody say, therefore. So as a result of all the things we've already talked about, as a result of the fact that you've grown up in a house of faith, as a result of the fact that you've been taught how to study the word, as a result of the fact that you have already have, uh, you, you've already been prayed for and anointed and spoken into, as a result of the fact that you've accepted Jesus in your life as Lord and Savior, as a result of the fact that you've seen people's lives turned around and you've heard testimonies left and right of all that God can do, as a result of the fact that you have seen all that God has been doing, therefore, Paul brings him to this point. Now, if I'm Timothy and I'm reading this, I'm like, man, where's Paul going? What's he about to say? Because he's setting me up. <laughs> All right? He says, therefore, I remind you. I remind you. Let, 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 let's be reminded as a church today that some of the greatest learning, spiritually and otherwise, doesn't come through new knowledge, but it comes through reminders. Right? Oftentimes we're like, oh, man, I had to go to another church and because I, you know, I just felt like, man, I just, I just, I, I needed to be fed, and uh, and I just need to go a little bit deeper. And I'm like, man, excellence in anything in life doesn't necessarily come through new information. It comes from being able to do the right things the right way consistently over time. Right? Um, when you look at the NBA, I, I'm terrible at basketball. Terrible. Brother Eddie can tell you. Right? He put me in in the church league basketball game, and after about two minutes, I was, I was tapping the top of my head, which in sports language means I'm done. I need a break. But if you look at, if you look at those who, who have a high shooting percentage from the free throw line, it's not because they learned something new. Right, right, Eddie? Coach Eddie, it's not because, oh, man, they read this new book on shooting free throws and they figured out the secret on how to have a high percentage, right? The knowledge that it took for them to become professionals probably took place when they were about six years old. And then from seven until 25, it was repetition. Um, and, and so Paul starts here by talking to Timothy, and he says, let me remind, somebody say remind. 
A remind is basically saying, you already know. But let me tell you again. <laughs> How many of us as kids, right? I know, I know, I know. You don't have to tell me again, right? Right? We don't like being reminded, okay? Because we already know. But how many of us know if we already know, then we would already do? <laughs> right? If we already knew it, uh, emphasis on know, and if we already knew it, okay, uh, there's a difference between being aware of something and knowing something. Isn't that, isn't that true? There's a difference between having an awareness but, but knowing. If you know something and you really know it, then it's going to come through our actions and our behaviors. Otherwise, it's just conceptual knowledge, which means very little. But if we really know something, then we could demonstrate it. So, so Paul says to Timothy, let me remind you to stir up. Somebody say stir up. Uh, go ahead and say stir up. Go ahead and do, give me a little stir up. Stir it up. Stir it up. Stir up. Stir it up. Stir up the tang, right, for those of us in, the, in that generation, or the Kool-Aid, okay? Stir it up. You know, you got you to stir it up, right, and make sure it's all evenly distributed, okay? Stir it up. Actually, the word used here that Paul uses when he tells Timothy to stir it up is, uh, is this really cool word that really means to make the fire alive again. So, so, so some of your versions say fan the flame, right? Um, make the fire alive again. In other words, uh, what, what Paul is saying is don't let, don't let the fire go out, right? Get a little piece of cardboard and start fanning it over that flame so that you can start seeing the coals get hot again and red, right? And then all of a sudden you see that flame pop up, okay? And then, and then blow on it a little bit, okay? Work on that thing because it's so important to keep it going. Paul says to Timothy, stir it up or, 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 or keep, get the fire alive again. He says, stir up the gift of God. The gift of God is the word charisma, so it's a spiritual gift. What he's saying to him is, all the stuff that God's placed in you to be effective in the kingdom, don't let it die out. Don't let it go uh, cold. Don't let it run out. Instead, stir it up. Blow on it, fan it into flame, and make sure that all that stuff God's placed in you, you continue to cultivate and develop and to build on and to make it grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Right? He says, I'm reminding you to, to, to stay with it, Timothy. Don't let it cool down. Okay? And he's saying that that gift that God's given you, I know that it's in you because Paul's saying, I was the one who was there to lay my hands on you and pray over you so I know that you received it. Again, back to this personal touch, right? Oftentimes, Paul's writing to churches and many Christians and believers that he probably doesn't even know. But in this particular case, he is saying, I laid my hands on you and prayed for you. So I know what's in you. And I want you to know that you need to continue to stir that up. Stir that up. Somebody say, stir it up. Stir it up. Okay? It's important for us as people of faith to stir it up, okay? It's important for us to recognize that we cannot rest upon what God did in our life 10 years ago or 20 years ago or even last year that we can't rest upon those different things, but we need to be stirred up to be reminded of, of, the, of the, the grace of God, the compassion of God, the salvation of God, the hope of God, the power of God, the redemption of God. 
that we can't let too much time go between what God has done and right now and think that we can just coast on all the wonderful things we experienced at the altar that one time about seven years ago. No, 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 we need another fresh experience of the work of God in our life that is nonstop so that we can continue to fan that flame, uh, that we can continue to blow on, on, on those little embers that are starting to form again so that in our life we are reminded of the goodness of God because he's not done with you yet. In fact, he's just starting with you. I don't care how old you are, where you are, what you've been through, but he's just getting started with you right now. Your glory days aren't behind you. God is at work right now more than ever. There is, there is a greater need now for people of God to stand up and to be witnesses of the light and the life and, and, and the work of God in our world today. There, is, there, were, there are more areas that are, that are just desperately in darkness that cannot wait for somebody to show up with a word of hope, with a word of truth, with a word of salvation, with a word of encouragement, with something that looks good and not bad, something that looks, that, 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 that looks like it's coming from God and not coming from the devil. There are so many places right now that are desiring for a people of God to be lit on fire, to, to leave from this parking lot and from this place excited to go see how we can take our one little charcoal that's red hot into different spaces to see what God might want to stir up. This isn't a time to sit back. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I need you, man. I need you, bro. We, we started some good things together, Timothy. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't lose sight of what God has been doing in your life, Timothy. The time is right now, Timothy. Right? And, he, and he's writing to him and he says, you got to stir it up. You got to stir it up. Okay, watch, 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 watch where we're going with this. He's saying the, 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 this gift is already, already in you, right? Which I love. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. In verse 6, everybody see that? The gift of God which is in you. I, I love that Paul doesn't say uh, stir up the gift of God that might be in you. Paul doesn't say stir up the gift of God that, that you may or may not have. Paul says stir up the gift of God that is in you. In fact, if, if you have any doubts as to whether or not God has anointed you, let me remove any of those doubts right now. The gift of God is in you. There's no doubt, right? There's no doubt. So leaders, uh, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, pastors, teachers, call it out. When you see a young person or when you see a, a married couple or when you see a new believer in the house of God, look at them and call out the gift of God that the Lord is building in their life. Call it out clearly, deliberately, articulately, right? Expound on it, okay? Man, you had the gift of service. The way you come up here and you look around in the room and you try to figure out what needs to get done, you're not looking for anybody to say please or thank you. You just want to serve others and you, you find value in making sure others have what they need and you do that in such a humble way that it reflects the character of God. You are demonstrating worship by the way that you serve others. Keep serving God. Call out the gift. Because oftentimes we don't think we have the gift. We just, we just think it's our personality. We just think we're just, oh, yeah, that's just the way I, I, I operate. When in reality, no, it, God intentionally, when you were crafted in your mother's womb, God said, I want you to have 
the gift of leadership. I want you to have the gift of service. I want you to have the gift of prayer and healing. Uh, and the Lord has already planted those things in us. And oftentimes we can't see it on our own selves until somebody comes along and says, it's there. There it is. We did the spiritual x-ray and yep, sure enough, you got it. <laughs> Take a look at this picture with me. It's right there. You see it? Really clear. Okay, call it out. Call it out. Paul calls it out and he says, hey, it is in you. There's no question about that, right? So how do we stir up the gift? How do we allow the gift to stir up? How do we do it in ourselves and how do we help to do that in others? Through encouragement and mentorship, right? Through encouragement and mentorship. We, we need that in our lives pouring into us and we need that uh, to be pouring into others' lives through encouragement, through worship and studying the word of God. That's how we continue to fan that flame, right? Because we develop a love and a passion for the word of God the more we spend time in it. The more we're away from it, the more it seems like it's just literature or a magazine or an article. But when we're in the word of God and we approach it and we say, Lord, teach me through your word. What might you be saying to me? And how might you be equipping me and preparing me to live my life in a way that's more faithful to you? And then we open up the word of God and the Holy Spirit begins to speak through the word of God and start us up and change our mind and change our heart and then change our actions and all of a sudden that that flame has been fanned up again right how by doing it amen through being surrounded by others who have a fire lit within them isn't that another good way to stir up that flame right when you see somebody else who's on fire for the lord right go ahead and pick up your little uh black coal okay move it over there so that it can start turning red hot and white hot as well Right? Get a little closer. Right? Because every once in a while, we need a little encouragement from somebody else. Somebody might be going through a season where God is on at work in them, and we get a chance to benefit from that. I know I do. I'm always encouraged by somebody who's on fire for the Lord. Right? I get excited. Amen? That's probably one of the secrets of being a pastor is like, I get a chance to be up close and personal and hear testimonies, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, all right, got lit, got lit up again right? Praise God. You know, you hear somebody talking about their story and what God brought them from and what God has done and what they're excited about. And I'm like, man, my faith is just encouraged. I could preach again. <laughs> Amen. Get close to others who are on fire for the Lord um, through new believers, older believers, and everybody in between. Testimonies. Share the story that fans the fire within us. When we share ours and when we hear others share theirs, it does something in us. It's a reminder to us. Amen? And then the other one I want to include is through committing to serve the Lord intently. When we, when, like Pastor Josh said, when we stand on the sidelines or if we're bench warming in faith, it's really easy for our flame to, to die out. But the flame gets stirred up when we place ourselves in a position where we're not sure we have what it takes. When we say, man, I don't know, Lord, if I can lead that class. They seem like a rambunctious group of kids. But you put yourself in that situation, and then all of a sudden, something starts getting stirred up, right? And an excitement starts to develop, right? Or whatever that may be, when we put ourselves out there and we step in, God does something in our faith, right? God begins to do something there. So let's wrap up in verse 7. I wanted to go through nine, but we just, we got time to finish verse seven. Verse seven says, he's saying, he's saying, we've got this lineage, 
There's a gift that's in you, Timothy. You've been called, right? I laid hands on you. It's connected to it long before I even showed up because your family's already been investing in you, and I got a chance to come and build on that foundation. Therefore, he says, keep the flame alive, okay? Keep the flame alive in your life of serving the Lord. He says, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So you can read between the lines in these first seven verses that Paul sensed that Timothy was backing away from his calling because he was a bit afraid. Timothy was losing sight of his identity because he was a little nervous, a little worried, a little self-conscious, dealing with some doubt. And Paul hits it right on the bullseye when he says, but you don't have a spirit of fear, Timothy. I, I can tell you for a fact that you have been filled with the spirit of God. I've been filled with the spirit of God. And from what I know about the spirit of God is it's not a spirit of fear. So I can tell you with certainty that you in you doesn't exist a spirit of fear. Right? Now, some people might walk away from this and say, well, pastor, sometimes I deal with fear and I'm afraid of certain things. And what I would say is, awesome, that just makes you human. Because some people say, I'm not afraid of nothing, Pastor Koba. Man, I'm not afraid of nobody and nothing. And to me, I'm kind of like, well, then you're stupid. <laughs> like if you go up to the edge of a cliff that's like a 1,000 feet in the air and you look down and you don't feel any sense of fear in you, something is wrong with you. It's either a physiological or psychiatric condition. That's not called boldness. That's called stupidity. Right? So to experience fear, it, it does not mean that we are not people of faith. But there's a difference between experiencing fear and having a spirit of fear. Right? Experiencing fear means you're a human. So what do we do? We say, Lord, don't allow me to be controlled by this fear that I'm experiencing. Instead, by your spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind, I come, under, I come unto control over this fear that I have. I won't let this fear grip me. I won't let this fear direct me. I won't let this fear be my God. I won't let this fear uh, cause me to wake up at different parts of the night or in the morning and have a hard time all throughout my day because all I can think about is that fear. I rebuke that fear in the name of Jesus. Because I've got a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So what Paul is teaching Timothy here isn't necessarily saying you shouldn't be afraid of things. No, 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 no. It's okay to have some of that fear, but we don't let the fear turn into a spirit of fear. Amen? We don't let that fear. I don't know what kind of fear Timothy was dealing with. Maybe he had a fear. I'm just guessing. But maybe he had the fear of thinking that he needed to present and, and, and imitate and be exactly like Paul. And maybe he felt inadequate that he couldn't stand up and step up and be perceived as Paul. And maybe the Lord is working through Paul to tell him, you ain't got to be me, you just got to be the best version that God wants you to be. Right? So some of us carry different kinds of fear, and that fear could be debilitating, and that fear could take us off of our identity and off of our purpose and off of our calling and off of our gifts. And what Paul is saying here is, let's put the fear aside and let's stoke into flame the gift that God's put in your heart. Okay? 
said, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Let me finish with this. A spirit of fear can distract us from the gift that God has given us. A spirit of fear can distract us from the calling that God has placed on our life. A spirit of fear can hold us back from reaching our God-given potential. A spirit of fear can cause us to lower our goals and our expectations for our lives. A spirit of fear can cause us to miss the opportunity to live into God's plan for our lives. But you don't have a spirit of fear. Mission Ebenezer, today, you do not have a spirit of fear. God has given you God has given you a spirit of power. Somebody say power. Power. Not even your own power. It's a power that comes from somewhere else. And that power is in you. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you access to his own strength, his own resources, his own abilities, his own source that you can tap into. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of power. Pastor, I don't know if I have what it takes. It's okay. The Lord has what it takes. Man, I'm not sure if I can do this. It's okay. He can do it. Man, I'm not sure if I can get through this again because the same thing has happened three times and this is the fourth time and I'm getting really discouraged. And I want to remind you that God can't just do it a fourth time, but a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and an eighth and a ninth and a tenth and a hundred and a thousand. While we're on that subject, what can't God do? So if he says he hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, then whatever it is that you're facing and you think you can't do, this is the perfect opportunity for you to say, okay, Lord, I'm tired and done of trying to do it on my own strength because I'm recognizing my battery just can't hack it. But if I tap into you, I know that I'm going to be just all right. He has given you a spirit of power, the spirit of love, and of a sound mind. It's yours. Somebody say, it's mine. You don't got to do any kind of trick or dance or special thing to get it. He's already given it to you. A spirit of power and a spirit of love and a sound mind is yours in Jesus' name. You reach out and say, it's mine. Go ahead and reach out your hands and you just say, it's mine. Somebody say, spirit of power. That's mine. Right? Somebody say, spirit of love. Yeah, that's mine too. Spirit of a sound mind. That's mine too, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.